This episode is brought to you by Philly Gemstones. I want to, you know, the whole idea was to pass it down to my children and, you know, I'll pull out something and I'll say, well, what do you think about this, you know? And they'll be like, no, mom, I want to wear these, whatever their friends are wearing, which is usually plastic. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, you're not my daughter. <laughs> Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewellery, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas, and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales, meeting all sorts of people, delving into four centuries of jewellery culture, and investigate what's happening now. Hello, welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm delighted to be joined today by the American model and actress, Brooke Shields, who traces her lineage all the way back to Louis XIV of France, no less. So we'll be talking French crown jewels, her collection of Edwardian and Art Deco jewellery, and her obsession with stars and crescent moons, which has led to a collaboration with one of the world's leading jewellery and gemstone specialists, Robert Prokop of Exceptional Jewels in Beverly Hills. The collection's called Luminous and it launches the 22nd of the 2nd, 2022. Robert is a trusted private jeweller to royalty and celebrities like Angelina Jolie, with whom he has designed a charitable collection under the name Style of Jolie, and one of their necklaces featuring a 177 pear-shaped citrine resides in the Smithsonian National Gem Collection. So hello Brooke, it's really nice to meet you and I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you, I'm very happy to, to be here with you guys. And Robert Prokop joining us from Beverly Hills in Los Angeles. Very early there. Very early. <laughs> it's kind of dark I can see out yeah, behind you. Good to see the beautiful uh, sunrise. So we're here today to talk about um, Robert and Brooke's new collaboration, jewellery collaboration called Luminous. How did the design process work between you? Did you kind of send pictures back and forward or what did you do? Or did you sit together? The design process is always fun because it's the, the you know, it always starts with the conversation. And then I always sort of gather pieces that I love or elements of pieces that I love or the way something's cut or, um, you know, what I've done with it. A lot of the time I'll take pieces and convert them to something else. How do you do that? A lot of the time there's, you know, especially if you're going in an Edwardian or a lot of the, the pieces are pins, pendants. And I like making them into necklaces just because they're, I mean, I have this one that's really beautiful. That's a, that's a crescent moon and it just sits right under my collarbone and um, it just looks really pretty. And, you know, I took another one and, took the diamonds out of it and they were these really rose cut beautiful diamonds and I just made an amazing band out of them and I just I play with it I love to repurpose I love having things that are from a long time ago and sort of bring them into this this century and and just feel the history of them and reconfigure them in a way that that makes it modern for me or or what I want to wear um so that's sort of what it starts with and then um, and we just start talking about 
types of feel for the for the bracelets or um, the earrings. And there was different ways I wanted the earrings to kind of be able to. I have multiple um, piercings. Yeah. And so I wanted to be able to sort of cascade them down and, and have and have earrings sort of all on my ear. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? <laughs> you know, and then it, and then we I would draw something, he would draw something, we'd come back and then, you know, the, the would then there would be a beautiful artist rendering of it with the potential colors and with, you know, or I'd use his pencils and sort of say, well, what, what about these two colors? Do they look good together? I've, you know, I haven't seen red and blue in many things. What do we feel about that combination? You know, what are the different, how do you start if you're showing a sky that's, that's progressing to midnight? What does that start with? You know, and I, I had no knowledge of sapphires being, you know, I always just thought they were blue, you know? So how long have you collected kind of stars and comets oh gosh at least 20 years I mean I, I my mom and I like that's what we did we bought jewelry like we would you know mostly from Europe and and we would I would go do a job and then we'd go hunt out the antiques markets or the you know and we'd always find the you know and then bargain for for whatever so we we just sort of loved combing my my, my last piece I got when I was in um Ireland a couple of years ago and no, and then I bought a piece um, a couple of months ago in London. Whereabouts from? Where did, where did you go? Um, God, where it was like we were on the down this little street in in London. I was there for one night, and I said to my friend, I was like, "Can, can you? We've got to find. We've got to find a place." And so we just started walking in the in between streets. I don't remember exactly the area that we were in. In the West End, or no, it wasn't the Chelsea. West End. Or... It was Chelsea. It was Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can get into real trouble being near jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many people? What's in the? Do you have a huge collection? Um, I don't think I have a huge collection. I mean, I no girl thinks she has enough jewelry ever. Yeah, I don't think there's <laughs> such a thing as too much. <laughs> I play with it. I, you know, my kids. It's so interesting. My kids don't. You know, they. It's so funny because I want to. You know, the whole idea was to pass it down to my children and. You know, I'll pull out something and I'll say, well, what do you think about this? You know, and they'll be like, no, mom, I want to wear these whatever their friends are wearing, which is usually plastic. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, you're not my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember the first piece of jewelry that um, had an impact on you? I have. I mean, I started when I was about 15, like really just sort of really enjoying it. I think I think my first piece was a watch. My mom and I got, we were traveling and I bought a Rolex watch. I think I was way too young for a Rolex, but, but, but my mom gave me a Rolex. And have you still got it? I do. <laughs> I just did a, I just did this show for oh, Dinky. Do you know the, the watch company? They, they did this whole kind of retrospective where you talk about all your, all your watches and. They were like, you're a collector of watches. And I was like, I didn't think I was a collector of watches. But then when you look at them all <laughs> sort of displayed and, you know, it was just they all remember, remind me of something, you know, like this one I'm wearing now. So What's that, a Daytona? Yeah, it's the, it's the Pepsi one. So mm-hmm. it's the Oyster something master. 
GM Master. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) How do you describe your jewelry style? How would you describe it? Um, It's funny. I had to take everything off for last Mm. night because I was working. But, um, you know, it's very much what I see when I go to Italy. Like when when I'm in Italy and I see, you know, the women, they wear a lot of gold. They stack Mm -hmm. bracelets. And a bit of vintage. Yeah, stacking rings and sort of layering necklaces. And um, I love that. I just, and and I think about it too, because it's not a very American, it is becoming a little bit more of an American style. But mostly when when I'm in Europe, I feel I'm always sort of drawn to the way the women wear jewelry in in Europe. And Robert, I don't think we've ever talked about what led you to jewelry in the very first place. I think I uh, told the story where my, you know, my father was an engineer and I worked in his uh, engineering plant after school on the weekends, even since I was 10 years old till I was 16. So I, I, I would look at a the things he would make uh, under microscopes, uh, fiber optics, and and he did a lot of things for actually the space program. So little micro uh, uh, parts, and he, when we grew up, it was around us was Rocketdyne and Teledyne and Rockwell and JPL. So it was all about the space program being uh, developed. My father worked on there and uh, of course I didn't make enough money to ever even afford my own car. So I went to work in a pawn shop for my brother-in-law when I was 16. And from there, I, I would look at all the broken stones that the jeweler uh, uh, in the pawn shop would be breaking when he was taking them out of the mountains. So I took him down to a diamond cutter and I asked him to repair them and, and asked him to teach me how to do that. So I started buying and selling uh, diamonds by the broken ones and repairing them and fastening them. So at a young age, I learned fastening, which was extremely interesting to me. And uh, from there, I went to different parts of the world, even just like having Gabby Tokowski, our mutual good friend, going to Belgium and him showing me how to how he cuts. The greatest cutter in the world. The greatest cutter in the world. And I've been very blessed. I've had the greatest cutters in the world teach me. So I went to Aldolfo in uh, Colombia, and he taught me how to cut emeralds, holding it in my hand on the wheel. And so I've had great masters who have taught me how to fascinate. That's probably how I started in the gem business. And I realized that when I was selling to stores, when I was going through university, they most of them wanted it mounted. So um, I proceeded to uh, learn and study about uh, craftsmanship. That's really got me to some of the old French masters of the 20s and 30s and 40s, of uh, old Van Cleef and La Cloche. And I looked at their old fastening, and that's how we started making uh, jewelry. But some, the first jewelry was not very attractive. It was pretty simplistic, you know, the bands and the uh, single row bracelets and what stores were in demand back at that time. And so the interest in space came from your father? It came from my father and where I grew up. We, we were in a north part of Los Angeles where they were testing missiles and rockets all the time. I think some of that radiation probably changed my hair in a few different colors. They <laughs> <laughs> even closed the reservoir near us. That's how bad it was later <laughs> on. <laughs> and so that's made you collect space memorabilia, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And you're sitting in a, what are you sitting in right now in a space capsule? No, I'm sitting uh, in uh, my, one of my drawing offices right outside uh, a, a Gemini um, boilerplate prototype that's in the back there. 
And and then I have a second one. I think you've been here, Carol. Yeah, I've seen that. That's the one that they used in the Pacific Ocean for um, testing. Uh, they would throw in the ocean, see if the aircraft carrier could find it and scoop it up and make sure they'll be able to find our astronauts. So these were unmanned and uh, they were testing uh, uh, capsules back in 1961, 62. And where do you find them? In auction. One of them was in a, uh, a New York auction. I go, no one's going to buy that in New York. It weighs 5,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be tempted to go to space? Are you quite interested in the space race at the moment? Would you go up there and follow William Shatner into space? Oh, Absolutely. If you think about it, we were going to the moon over 50 years ago, 220,000 miles, and now they're only going up 50 miles. Yeah. And this technology is very safe. Um, it's like getting on a plane. Have you ever done zero gravity? I haven't. No, you'd like to. I'd like to do that, yes. I know mm -hmm. they have planes so you can jump in with friends and go up there and be in for a minute or something like that. So I have to... Maybe I'll do that for my next birthday. Brooke, are you going to bag the place on the, the the aircraft to go up there with him? Am I going to go with him? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm not quite sure about that. <laughs> I, there's, I used to want to, I actually, I trained, well, my first sort of attempt, but it wasn't space. It was to fly with the Blue Angels. And I went through all of physiology to, because I was, named woman of the year by the USO and they you know they'll they say like well what would you like to do like something that they have what would I like to do and I said I wanted to fly with the blue angels and so in order to do that you have to go through physiology so I don't know if you've seen officer and a gentleman but all that training stuff yeah. that you like I got shot down underwater in a capsule that was upside down and I had to learn how to undo the parachute and get out and and then you got simulation of the ejection and and then the 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 sort of what it was the oxygen deprivation whatever that whatever that room is um so it was really fun and then um the flight that I was scheduled to go on got canceled I put my name in to be one of the first um civilians to go up um and that was a the, a tragic flight so I was thankful and lucky that I didn't get chosen. So I never really put my name back in again. Wow. Well, that training, you say it was fun. It sounds kind of hardcore to me. I think. It was a bit scary, but they, but you know, if something goes wrong, there is, there are scuba divers underneath that if they see you struggling or they know you're underwater for more than a minute, <laughs> they'll come and get you, but I didn't need the help. So, and you have to learn, you know, like if, a lot of the people, when they uh, go into the water, what kills them is not the impact, but um, they get sucked down under by the parachute. So you have to learn how to bring the parachute over over your head like this. But everything's upside down by the way that the capsules go into the water. So if you have claustrophobia, it's not a good place to be. <laughs> and Robert, um, that's not all it heavy things that you've lugged up to your house above sunset, is it? Because if anyone listening has bought my book, The New Stone Age, they will see Robert's um, sitting room in it, which has the most magnificent selenite fireplace. And you have a quartz bathroom, don't you, there? How, how heavy was all the quartz that you got to your house? Yeah, well, it's a, it have, you know, one inside, one outside, and uh, the bar is all made of crystal. My bathroom, I have a whole, a whole uh, 
crystal installation. Uh, you know, we count all the receipts every time I buy. And I said, I'm somewhere around 45 tons now in the house. 45 tons. He lightened a little bit of his load for my 50th birthday. Gave me the most beautiful. Oh, of what? Rock crystal? Uh, um, amethyst. Amethyst. And didn't um, Robbie Down- Robert Downey Jr. get the offcuts? For his swimming pool from your place. Yes, he uh, he put some uh, the crystal in the in the swimming pool, and he's very knowledgeable about uh, not only the elements but all the energy of all the stones. So he's uh, he's a real collector. Are you Brooke? Do you like this um, crystals and stones? I'm not a collector of stones. I really mm. appreciate them. I think they're really beautiful. I just um. I just never really collected them. Actually, my first one was, I mean, when I was little, you know, we'd go to like Arizona and then you'd buy the the full ones and then you'd crack them open. And, you know, like that was, to me, that was like a, I'm sure it was like a ride at a theme park or something, but I thought I was really, you know, seeking out and finding gems. But, um, but my favorite, favorite one is the one I got for my 15th birthday. The Amethyst. Yes. (laughs) But I guess um, jewellery's played a big role in your life sometimes in getting into character when you're doing a film. Does it help you as you're sort of getting into character that you're using accessories to become that person? Sometimes it's it's a primary piece of the character. You know, it's so indicative of the personality and, you know, the way a character layers or adorns them their self, you know, it, um, and I think that it's always one of the first things that I do is cause it's, it's, it's interesting on movie sets, jewelry is sometimes it's a twofold thing because you've got the prop department and then the costumer and the wardrobe and nobody really owns the jewelry portion of, of what their job is. And so it, it's often kind of a conflict between because for some reason props always get watches whereas wardrobe gets um accessories as as far as jewelry but then props will get wedding rings it's very interesting and so you have to kind of balance between the two because everybody gets is very proprietary about <laughs> about what their department is um and so a lot of the time I'll just wear my own stuff and then just either put it in the vault or take it take it home every night. But usually I start with the watch and then I sort of, you know, I make sure that the layering is is important. And, you know, it's like if you're, I play this really sort of white trash kind of crazy character on the middle and it's all silver and it's all like turquoise and silver and layered. And whereas then I play this sort of socialite in something else. And we spent a long time just putting her jewelry together. I, I, it's one of my favorite things to do because I think it's it's really great being in a scene and feeling feeling something. You know, you can you, it's very tactile and it kind of helps. It's quite old school to wear your own jewelry on film, isn't it? I think it's what a lot of the kind of, um, you know, Paulette Goddard and people did in the kind of 30s and 40s, didn't they? You know, I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm learning so much. <laughs> How old school I am. I'm just, I'm getting older by the, I'm getting dated by the day just because I'm like, oh, it's not like it used to be, you know, in my day, you know, and you're sort of, it was like I was working with costumers that, that, you know, the petticoats were vintage, you know, the, the socks were real wool from the time, you know, and, and nowadays it's like all plastic and, 
and then just the outside is whatever the period is, you know, or people have Uggs on or, you know, or sweatpants or whatever. And when I started, everything was all real, you know. Ina Middleman was this incredible designer. And so I hold I hold a little bit of that. You don't always want to use your own watch, though, because for continuity, you have to undo it and have it not be working. So either you're constantly changing the time, which I don't like to do on my watches that much, you know, depending on what kind of complications they mm -hmm. have. So it's just it's hard to find them that I like as much as my own stuff. You know, maybe you could sort of suggest what they should get as your props and then, you know, go and raid Robert's studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, like, you know, um, there was an uh, Italian, um, Gerardo Sacco, who was a, was a, um, is a, a designer, but he designed all of the uh, jewels for the opera and then, like, La Scala. And when, I think it was... Glenn Close did, was it Hamlet? Whatever the movie was that um, that they did, she he designed all the jewelry for her. And so she wore all, all of his, and it was all beautiful and real. And a lot of the the gems for the opera are, you know, under, in, in vaults. And, and he designed all of them and he made me a few pieces. Do you think it shows on, on camera when, a, when you've got a real diamond as opposed to a fake do you think that shows adds a sense of luxury i think so i mean i think if it's featured at all i mean a lot of the time jewelry isn't isn't featured but i mean robert you can talk to that doesn't didn't you wasn't there jewelry for angelina yes we did when uh, she uh had the tourist and it was filmed in Italy. oh yeah um but when we were doing the jewelry it was actually a, a hunt for some antiquities some i made and some the choker that she wore was an old uh vintage piece it's, so say if you know it's with a friend so if brooke was doing a film and needed it i would love to go out there and hunt for those special <laughs> antiquities and uh i would go with you <laughs> <laughs> She'd find him herself. <laughs> and so you've got a special date for the launch of this collection. What is the special date? Has it got significance? To 2022. Is that something planetary that is happening? Well, there's always things in the sky. So there, there is, a, um, uh, when we're going to look in the sky, we'll, we're going to, maybe we'll, we'll include that in part of our little press uh, release of what kind of, uh, meteorite shower is going to be going at the time and planets in the air. But it's really about when we're thinking about launching it, you know, the jewels that we have are, um, we, they're, most of them are one of a kind. And then we make, we're making stars. We're cutting uh, all different kinds of stones. We've been doing it for three years. And, you know, we're not, a, as you know, not a fashionable house where I'm trying to sell to the masses a fashionable piece. These are pieces that, are finally made. Um, I'm not sure if there's too many master craftsmen whoever could even take on such a thing. I've been very blessed with, as you know, Carol, with so many great masters. Uh, and so we we did it on the time, not when we're doing it around Christmas. We just did it in a time that we thought was a kind of a fun date, like a launch uh, sequence, 2-22-22. It's also a time as we're coming into uh, getting out of the winter and then coming into spring. It's, it's a little bit of seasonal in the sky. It's interesting. The first collection that we did was really sort of 
centered around the cabochon, you know, just because that was it. But I, I find it interesting because we'll pick a shape or a technique. It, something, it comes out of it. So whereas cabochon was sort of the focus first, this now is much more faceted. Um, the, 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 the laser cuts, the, you know, the, so it's interesting that shape and form always kind of changes and then there's a is a piece to it so it's you know that has a poignancy to it it's so interesting i mean have you been able to see through the telescope that robert has yeah i think i did the big well i don't know what the mac daddy of telescopes are is but you've got it (laughs) i mean he's got just the most extraordinary mix of things i mean you've got napoleon's hat haven't you yes i have one of them (laughs) I mean, it's the mix of things at Robert's house is kind of amazing. So tell me about the telescope. It just, I had never, I just never had seen through a telescope like that before. Where was it? Something was happening. Was it? We were looking, when you were here, we were looking at uh, Jupiter and the moons and Saturn and the rings. Saturn and the rings. That blew me away. That was just, because it was moving and it was like, it was so interesting to sort of look at it there. And then all of a sudden it was there. You know, you don't feel that kind of planetary shift, you know, just not looking at it through a telescope, obviously. But it was just, it's just so mesmerizing to be able to, you know, when, when you really sort of see see all that, the inspiration for all of that is so vivid in the collection. And the collection, and you often use jewellery, Robert, to do good, don't you? There's a great philanthropic aspect to this collaboration. That's how he um, hooked me in at first. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell me, what, what, it's the House of Ruth that um, will benefit from this. Yeah, it's a company, it's House of Ruth, you know, and Brooke has been uh, very influential in our last uh, few shelters. We've, she's come down to the shelters with the women and uh, we actually opened a backyard for uh, the children, and we have two play yards that Brooke has participated in. So will you tell us what what the House of Ruth does for people who don't know? The House of Ruth is a transitional shelter for battered women with children. We, you know, we have cases where they, uh, some of the misfortunes, some are just abuse, some are in very difficult positions, and they're women with children. And we put them through a transitional, uh, averages about three months, and they get we get their entitlements and children in school. Uh, we try to put them on a new path, a new career, and new living conditions. Uh, we teach them everything from cooking healthy to uh, also cleaning the house to uh, little skills with their children. So the uh, we have a 95% success rate. We're just finishing our 16th shelter. Are these all in the Los Angeles area? Los Angeles area, and and now Brooke, uh, uh, through uh, some of her uh, endeavors in New York, uh, we're going to be helping another uh, participate with uh, a great women in need. Uh, Amazing organization. It's larger than our organization, and they they seem to uh, do some of the best, uh, uh, call it transitional shelters in New York, and Brooke could tell you more about her relationship with that, and we're going to see where the needs are as a collection sells and collection grows and uh, proceeds will be going to both these organizations. So what is your aspiration from the collection, Brooke, for, for your, um, your shelter in New York? Um, so I'm, I'm involved with Women in Need, 
which is um, which is just it's very similar to to House of Ruth and it's um, they're transitional um, housing complexes so they're quite large buildings and in the in the boroughs and it's all for women with children and they um, train train women who are transitioning out of any number of sort of negative environments and they take care of the children but they teach the moms they give them you know, their own living space, safe, clean, um, teach them how to interview for jobs, balance a, a checkbook, you know, shop, prepare, you know, prepare healthier food for their children. Um, and it really is as a safe sort of haven for women in this period of time where they can get back on their feet and then they help them find permanent housing. So, and Christine Quinn, who is um, she's a politician in, in New York City, she's taken it over and she's just brilliant. So, and she's a friend. And so I just went with her and, and just to help her with, you know, with whatever it is that they need at that time, you know, fundraising or um, there's different events. I go to the different shelters. I just watched um, the show on Netflix, Made, uh-huh. with um, Andy McDowell. I mean, this is really what you're describing now. It's the process, this one woman who's emotionally abused through her marriage and the process she goes through, finding shelter and finding help and ultimately breaking away from that relationship. Mm-hmm. It's breaking out of the pattern, you know, which I think is sometimes the hardest. And like they say in Maid, sometimes it takes them six or seven times going back to the abuser, you know. And so, yeah. I did, you know, and that it's it's the emotional piece too and the, the psychological piece that um, is provided by... The, the people that work at women in need, you know, because a lot of it is is a psychological comfort zone with abuse because it's familiar, you know. So, the, and the pull, and you know, and, and it's a it's a very it's, it's a epidemic, sadly. But now that people, I mean, doing shows like this or um, places like House of Ruth and Women in Need, you know, it's it's becoming more a part of the conversation, which is really. It, Important. We had a big conversation here that was covered in all the papers this morning in London with the Duchess of Cornwall and um, Carrie Johnson, the Prime Minister's wife, who both did a big um, speech and um, event last night about um, stopping violence against women. So it's going global. The conversation is global, which is great. Which is great. And I was thinking, um, Brooke, about your kind of as you're saying, you just sort of love jewellery and have loved it from such a young age. I remember um, I did watch you on the programme, Who Do You Think You Are?, as you unravelled your your um, ancestry back to Louis the Fourteenth, the King of France, and I was thinking, well, maybe this has come in your DNA. Maybe it's the French crown jewels that you're you're lusting after. That um... that was what the inspiration for our first collection was, because I had just done. Who do you think you are? And I was like. There it is. It makes sense now. <laughs> That's why I need jewelry. <laughs> but that that era, you know, just the work, the craftsmanship, but the the adornment I I found just there's something the ritual of it is just so appealing to me. And I mean, it was interesting that I was a French major and all this time thought I was only Italian. So it was kind of interesting to hear where my roots really were. French aristocracy who should have inherited the French crown jewels, but damn, they were sold. <laughs> damn, I missed that. I missed that day. I wasn't, I wasn't on my game. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to dream about it. And, and, you know, it is fun to sort of say, like, isn't it interesting what you gravitate towards or what, in, what interests you or what sort of spark something in you and yeah it didn't change my life at home at all <laughs> no nobody curtsied I was very I was very incensed <laughs> so did you inherit any jewelry have you inherited anything uh, I have a, a ring from my my grandmother who I didn't know if really she was a princess or not because that I, you grow up being told that and you're just not sure it turns out she was in Italy and then I have uh, my dad's crest ring from the family does that mean a lot to you oh it's just everything to me it's I mean every picture I have you can see my dad's pinky and it's massive because he was six seven and he's a big guy and uh when my dad was dying I um my sister called me and said because I couldn't be there because I was in my ninth month of pregnancy and I was an at-risk pregnancy um so I couldn't go to be with him so all my sisters were around him everybody was there but me so it was like kind of the difficult uh time and my sister called me and she's like I this sounds really crass but what do you want <laughs> he's, he's like everybody's here getting a watch or getting a something and you know like my step I mean it was just sort of very chaotic and um I was like does he have his ring on his finger I was like is that weird and she's like it's right by the bedside it's yours. Nobody, nobody else is wanting it. Nobody's getting it, and it's yours. And it's just, it's, it's so big, but it's a beautiful crest. Um, you know, really that you would seal letters with. So, does it have a motto underneath? Do you have a family motto? It doesn't have a motto. I, I think when you, if you look at the way, I mean, from who do you think you are? Like when you actually look at the history, it does go back to Louis the Fourteenth, but there's this sort of chunk. <laughs> in the like, I don't know what era, what decade, but um, they were sort of nouveau riche at, at, a, at, at a time. And there was like this um, period of time. And so the Pope said to, to one of my great, great grandfathers, like, okay, you get to have a crest now, so you can make it whatever you want. And so they put five stars on the on the crown they just they just they just decided they wanted a lot of them so it was kind of in a weird way like that's what I always heard I grew up thinking like that's not really real and you know it started in the 1500s but so when I was was not able to get the information but so you looked at it, it didn't have a motto but it had many stars <laughs> and that's supposed to signify your level of royalty but I think he made it up. <laughs> I think most of them did. <laughs> Probably. Well, elevate yourself. Elevate yourself with your stars. So that's what you're going to do now. Elevate some women yes. with stars. You've been friends for a long time. So I wondered, how did this new collaboration come about, Brooke? So each collection sort of comes from something that is moving me for whatever reason or at the time. And I've been a collector um, of Edwardian um, jewelry. I love sort of the old, older cut stones and moon shapes. And, you know, a lot of them, there'll, there'll be a pin and I've converted them to necklaces. And I usually get them in antique stores and places when I travel. And it's just a sort of fun little passion of mine. And so we were talking about it and we said, you know, with this just in this period of time, the connection to the planets and the stars and and what there is outside, I think just coming out of COVID, um, especially there's this sort of different 
relationship to the universe. You know, it's all about the different planets and the stars and the moons. And so we just started talking and I'm talking about different colors. And then the bracelets are sort of liquid. There's this sort of liquidity to them because they they flex and, and the stones are so um, intricately cut. And it really just became a, a, was really, it just grew from that. And Robert, how did you choose the stones for this? Because it's very kind of sapphire, um, really the, the sort of main stones, haven't you? Part of it is when Brooke and I were looking at it and it's like, what would the color of the sky be? What's the color of midnight? What it is uh, when you see the stars, do you, um, you know, how, how do they, you know, we always look at a star, how it sparkles, right? It's that illumination. And when you think of the closest star we're seeing is light years away. We're looking at light that uh, we're, if, if it didn't exist today, we're still staring at it for years to come. So it's so fascinating. And it's that little twinkle in the sky that we all look up at every single night. And so what are the colors? Um, and so it, a lot of it is a gradation of a midnight blue into a lighter blue as it comes into the daylight. So we did a combination. It's really the background of the sky uh, that we end up putting our, let's call it our main features of the planets and the stars. So in this, as Brooke was describing the fluidity and the, uh, and it's really comes from all my master craftsmen to make something that's so soft and handmade in platinum. Um, we embedded these uh, stars and the stars are all made when we're making the star, we always say, well, how does that illumination of light travel? It travels when we see it, it looks like a, a point. So we, I made these gem cut diamonds and color stones. So it almost, it's sharp at the end, almost like a needle. So we, when we were doing this to make the point so elongated, um, we cut the sapphires by hand on a wheel because sapphire more durable than being a diamond and diamond we couldn't do it it kept would chip at that end so we cut it all by lasers wow so points when you see the stars every single piece is cut by laser and we faceted it that way so it's been the diamonds are very interesting to so they could match the color stones and the sapphires so we use all sapphires we have stars in all di uh, different colors because in the universe all of our stars are different colors. A hot star is, is actually blue. Ours is a cooler star. Our sun is cooler, so that's why it's yellow, yellowish orange. Um, so we're using the different colors that we see in the cosmic color of the universe. What I may say about Brooke and her heritage, us knowing each other since we were young, Brooke, I, you know, I expecting this as I have the collection American Glamour, I thought, Oh, with Brooke, we're going to have a very American, you know, she's she's the epitome of the American beauty and the soul and what everyone knows from growing up this uh, uh, in the last, uh, you know, several decades. Every, you know, everyone knows her. Everyone just looks up to her and she's just cherished by so many in every kind of discipline in her, in her design and her life and her giving. But so I'm thinking this all-American collection. And every time we're going into the colors, we're going into the shape. She's going into sugar loaves. I'm like, mm, okay, color, the purple. And it all made sense after she did this show. I go, <laughs> no matter how much I'm going, this is going to be a great American collection. 
it went French. <laughs> DNA. Even the even the simplistic uh, lattice work on the side of a ring became fine details that only uh, someone with this kind of French DNA and she must have had some great master craftsman uh, one of those centuries back that stuck with her because everything that we did in Legacy really had this amazing influence from so knowing that legacy, how important it is and passing things down, what, what do you want your children to inherit from you? What pieces do you hope they would wear? You know, I, it's, it's funny. I look at what I have and it's so sort of eclectic and it's been, you know, and it's grown over, you know, and it's not always based on, on, um, expense or, you know, size of gemstone or anything like that but the pieces are so interesting and have such stories that I just want them to um repurpose it any way they want um experience it enjoy it um and grow into the history of it you know so I, I think it's it's hard with kids because either a they lose things or they have to take it off for sports you know so there's this they don't necessarily take care of everything um, the best. So it's hard to kind of trust them <laughs> with stuff. And they're not babies, but they are students. So um, I think they're going to grow into loving it more. And now they're starting, like, my younger one is definitely, she's starting to stack, like, she'll take my bangles and she's starting to stack her jewelry more. And now the girls are starting to wear rings like on all their fingers. And that's what's in style right now. So I think that they'll just, I'm not going to get rid of any of it. I'm just going to give it all to them and let them enjoy it. Wear it how they want. Yeah. And so what's the next project? I have launched um, my own company, my own website called Beginning Is Now. And it's a 360 degrees of a well-being platform for women over 40 who are starting new chapters and coming I'll into it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the women I know over 40 are pivoting, they're extraordinary. They've had careers and they're changing them. They've had kids and their kids are gone or they didn't have kids and they're going back to business or they're wanting to give up but they're just doing amazing things and I feel there's not as much representation for us out there. You know, it sort of is in the 20s or depends <laughs> or like, you know, pampers for old people. You know, it's like those are the those are the options. And there's this whole bracket in the middle. Um, we have the money to spend. We're independent um, and we've had whole lives. And now we're starting really new big chapters. And we launched and we're we're in our product development stage. Um, but we've created the community and it's. It's growing very fast and everybody wants to buy something. <laughs> so that's great. So is it sort of beauty, beauty and well-being? Beauty and, and wellness and, and sleep, um, nutrition, movement, we're calling it. Um, so it's a real, it's sort of a comprehensive 360 degrees of really what wellness is for women over 40. And it's a celebration of you know, it's really a community that we've built. And so we'll have even each category. So nutrition, we will go into a little bit later. We're starting with beauty. We've got active wear. And it just addresses things that all my friends and I talk about and actual problem-solving products. And Robert, finally, what's what's your next project? Uh, well, I'm always working on things. Yeah. You know, it's, just, it's never, uh, I, I'm not seasonal, it's constant. 
Um, uh, we are, do, I am doing the uh, exhibition for the Los Angeles uh, County uh, Museum of Natural History. So it should be America's, uh, as they say, probably uh, the biggest exhibition they've ever had at the museum. It's all rare stones. It's the uh, part of it's the science of rare stones. So we'll be introducing uh, some of the grandest stones that the world hasn't seen from the greatest Alexandrite in the world, uh, one of the, lar the largest blue diamond that uh, the world knows of, a little bit larger than the Hope, but it's uh, a very interesting collection. And they actually, uh, when we were going through it, the curator and the director of the museum both, could, is it possible we could get some of the new luminous uh, bracelets that they saw in my studio when we were making them? So they, we are honored uh, with a collection that's going to be uh, also in the uh, museum. Perfect. Well, hopefully some, some of us will be able to go and get and see that. Brooke, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. And um, we're going to look forward to seeing more of the collection and more of your ideas about well-being. Thank so you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Robert. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk, please go to our website, carolwalton.com slash podcasts. And if you liked it, share it any way you can. And please subscribe to the podcast feed on any of the usual platforms where you find your podcasts, where we'd love a rating and a comment. And please join us again in two weeks for the next Jeweled Nugget, which is fascinating. I'll be joined by Dr. Kat Jarman. She's a bioarchaeologist and a field archaeologist specialising in the Viking Age and the author of 2021's runaway bestseller, River Kings. It's an epic book and it's absolutely the perfect subject for If Jules Could Talk because Kat has traced a carnelian bead from a Viking grave in Derbyshire all the way to Gujarat in India. And in it, she's created a new history for the Vikings in medieval Britain. And it all started with a tiny carnelian bead. You won't want to miss this. So please join me again in two weeks. Goodbye. If Jewels Could Talk with Carol Walton is produced by Natasha Cowan. Music and editing by Tim Thornton. Graphics by Scott Bentley. Illustration by Geordie Labanda. And you can find me on Instagram at Carol Walton.